This is Ashland Connected, sharing stories of success in our connected communities, inspiring you to get connected to Ashland Connected, a presentation of the Ashland Area Chamber of Commerce, is brought to you by the Bill Harris dealerships in Ashland and Loudonville. Now, here's your host, Amy Daubenspeck. Hi, Chamber friends. Today on Ashland Connected, we are going to talk about escaping monotony. And I have with me today, Sherry Butcher and Dave Lepka, who are co-owners of Air Ohio Skydiving Center. Hi, guys. How are you today? Hello. Nice to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, How about we get a quick overview of what Air Ohio Skydiving Center offers to the Ashland area? So we are a skydiving school. So we teach brand new jumpers how to skydive, and they can start by um, either doing a tandem skydive or the solo training. And then we also have experienced jumpers that just come out and on a regular basis for recreation and fun. And uh, it's a sport for them, something that they come to do on a regular basis. Dave, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, I mean, that's that's really it. The, so the whole point of of the training is to earn a, a license, right, to become a, a there is a licensing body. And so once you're a licensed jumper, that's sort of your hobby. And what that license does is it lets you go from, you know, skydiving center to skydiving center and be able to present those uh, credentials. Uh, and then, you know, you can go jump anywhere in the in at least in the U.S. and, and a lot of places worldwide you know, recognize that license. So it's, it's really, it's a, uh, we sort of have something for every, everybody. If you wanted to make uh, just one jump and try it and see what it's like, we can accommodate that. And if you're looking to, you know, start a new hobby, we can uh, certainly take it from there. So how did the two of you get involved in skydiving? So <laughs> 30 years ago, I, uh, I met somebody, actually, it was probably more like 32 years ago. I met somebody who was a skydiver, and it was just something that sounded exciting and fun. So I carried a business card around with me in my back pocket (laughs) for a while, thinking, uh, oh, I'm going to do that someday. And then a couple years after that, I, I met somebody again who was a skydiver, and they said, you should go tomorrow. It was a Friday night. You should just go tomorrow. I'm going to be up at Salina, Grand Lake Salina, Salina, Ohio, and you can do a first jump. Well, a couple of friends and I went, and um, and I never stopped. I went back the next day and did another jump, and within about 30 days, I was I had earned my A license, the first license that you can earn through the United States Parachute Association, and I I can say that my life took a, you know, a 90 degree turn at that point. And that was about the, <laughs> that was that I was addicted. Right. And, and I have almost the same story. So, you know, 30 years ago, uh, before the Internet, if anybody could imagine that, uh, that, that's how the majority of the people would get into something like skydiving. It wasn't, uh, you know, uh, big in the in the media. It wasn't big, um, you know, obviously with no Internet. So it was always you just met somebody, mm-hmm. right? You you just by happenstance, just, you know, you knew a guy who knew a guy and someone said, oh, yeah, I've done that. And it's really fun. And and I went to this place and it was really great. And uh, same thing where I just happened to meet somebody and they said, hey, I made a, a jump last year and had a blast. I'm going to go back and do another one. You want to go? I said, sure. Why not? I showed up. I made the jump. I was back the next weekend to make a second jump. 
and just never stopped. Even today with skydiving being, you know, prevalent in the media and with the internet, there's a lot more just general knowledge about it. Mm -hmm. A good number of people, you know, show up. We say, oh, how'd you hear about us? And they say, well, my friend jumped or, you know, my, my cousin jumped in Kansas somewhere and called and told me how amazing it was. And so, you know, word of mouth is, is big. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that most people do it. Uh, they, they walk away, you know, loving it and, and wanting to talk about it with other people. Do you know how many times you've jumped over the years or do you keep track of that? So how many times, in 30 years, how many times have you jumped out of a plane? You have to keep track of it in the beginning. Yeah. So earning a license, you know, depends on a specific number of jumps and then also having a specific number of sort of lessons under your belt. And then just like there's a beginner license, there's also like an intermediate and an expert. So for the first several hundred jumps, you really have to keep track. Yeah. And, and we do that by writing it down in a logbook. Every time you make a jump, you put all that information in writing and you save it. At some point, some people do stop logging jumps depending on how long they've been jumping for. I didn't log jumps past probably four or 500. I sort of gave up logging at that point. You know, I've got a, a, a good approximate idea because I know that you know, at the end of the year, you kind of total it up. You say, oh, well, I made four or 500 jumps this year. And then you can kind of keep a rough, you know, running total. Yeah. And and then some people do log for their entire career. Mm -hmm. It's gotten much easier to keep track of jumps, too, because now there are little computerized log books that you that are built into your altimeter that you wear on each jump. And so it just logs that jump for you. You don't necessarily know what you did on that jump like you would normally write down in your your handwritten logbook, but you have a, a running total. So for, gosh, I don't know, probably at least the last 15 years, I've had an electronic logbook. So I know, I know I've got 9,850-ish jumps right now. And, uh, you know, you do, you build them up a lot over time because of jumping with students all the time. And, you know, right, we're there right. six days a week. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's amazing. And, and I'm somewhere in that same range. So it's um, I'm close enough to that that I just go with her number and say that's good enough <laughs> for me. No, no. What he usually says is it's one more than she has. Uh, I get <laughs> it. That depends who we're talking to. Yeah. Not competitive or anything. No. Well, in a certain company, I say I have one less than she does, just depending on, you know, what the situation is. So when did you decide that you wanted to turn this into a business? Well, it started out as a club in the 50s, and it was uh, called Akron Skydivers. And the location of it was up in farther northeast Ohio. And then in uh, the early, late 80s, early 90s, uh, the previous owner turned it into um, a business. He bought out the club and turned it into a small training school. We got involved in the business uh, probably within, you know, 10 years after that and have had it ever since. So the it, a long time ago, the club format was was more popular and that's where, you know, if you wanted to come jump, you had to pay club dues, whether it's 50 or or $100 a year. And that went towards 
buying a small airplane and the upkeep and renting a little, you know, hangar at an airport somewhere, you know, the, it wasn't a viable business where, you know, somebody could start a business and turn a profit, but a group of jumpers could get together, start a club and be able to, you know, have a place to go and jump. As training and, and different techniques changed and the industry changed, it became easier for people to start skydiving and more, it became more popular. So once that happened, it was, it was something you could turn into a business. And that mostly came with the invention of the tandem skydive, mm-hmm. um, which was in the mid, mid 80s when the, the tandem skydiver, you were attached to an instructor. And at that point, many, many, many people that would never have made a skydive in their life had an opportunity to go do it with, right. uh, you know, pretty easy situation. Right. There's a big difference between jumping out of an airplane by yourself and jumping out of an airplane with an instructor attached to you the whole way. Right. There's always somebody, you know, right there behind you to, to you know, help and work the parachute and, and, you know, talk you through things and help you land. Whereas a solo jump, like before tandem was available, you know, you had to be adventurous enough to feel like, well, I want to jump out of a plane all by myself. <laughs> and that's certainly a smaller pool of people uh, for the first time. Right. There, there's a lot of people will do a tandem and then say, hey, that was really fun. And it wasn't quite as hard as I thought. And maybe I could do this by myself. And then maybe they consider it. But, you know, uh, the day before, if you had said to them, hey, do you want to jump by yourself? And they'd say, no, absolutely not. <laughs> so the tandem was, was a great option, but it really did sort of change the industry to the point that, you know, a, a skydiving center could be a business and not just a club uh, setting. Right. So tell me about, I, I know that uh, originally you were in Rittman, Ohio, and then you've relocated the business to Ashland County. Uh, tell me a bit, a little bit about the evolution of, of that process and what drew you to Ashland. So we were 25 years at our old location. The uh, owner of that land was from a big farm family. And we always knew <clears throat> that at some point, whenever he retired, that his deal with his family was that the, uh, the the corn that he plowed down and turned into a runway would be go back to his family for farming. And so at, at uh, some point, his wife passed away. And so we had a couple years notice, essentially, that we were going to need to find a, um, a place to move the skydiving center. So we started looking. And we knew that we had until the end of 2019 to have something set up for 2020. And in that process, we were looking at other grass strips that might be available um, in and around Wayne or Ashland County and ended up stopping in at Ashland County Airport to talk to Denny, really just to find out if, you know, if we could take off from there, if we ended up with a grass runway that was too damp in the springtime, if we could ferry people over there and get in the plane and take off. And he said, well, you know, why, why don't you just think about moving here altogether and you'll have a paved runway all the time. Mm-hmm. And Dave and I looked at each other and went, well, well that's a let's, let's talk about that. That sounds <laughs> right. like a great idea. So the Rittman location was not uh, an established airport. It was, it was really just a cornfield that this farmer had 
uh, plowed a, a runway into the middle of because he wanted to learn how to fly himself. And uh, that didn't really go very far, but it, it turned out to be a great location where we had a private runway and then the, the cornfield next to it got plowed. So we had a place to land parachutes uh, and it worked well for a, a very long time. Um, but, you know, when when the, the, the lease was up, essentially, uh, we, we, we had to relocate. So and, and Ashland really took us by surprise with, um, you know, we were looking at other private fields, uh, you know, maybe making our own runway and, you know, building our own private airport, uh, because a lot of times there are significant challenges to opening a skydiving center on a public airport. You know, it's <clears throat> the FAA supports the activity, but there's logistics like, uh, you know, is there room for a parking lot? Is there room for a landing field for parachutes? Is there a way to, you know, operate and not be in the way of other airplanes on the field? Mm -hmm. And so there's there's a lot of boxes to check to open up a, a parachute center at a public airport. But we we went out to Ashland and uh, uh, Denny and Tracy, who who managed the airport, said, well, why don't you just think about moving right here? And we started looking around and talking and one by one, those boxes got checked off and it turned out to be a, a great fit uh, between uh, Denny and Tracy and then the airport board who runs the airport for the county. It's it's a group of uh, five local pilots who were appointed. Uh, everybody was really great to work with and, and we managed to, you know, get all the boxes checked and, and uh, have a sort of a clean move. Uh, ending 2019 in Rittman and, and opening up 2020 here in Ashland. We'll be back with more from our guest. But now let's hear a word from our sponsor, Bill Harris Dealerships. At Bill Harris Dealerships, we are proud to be distinctly different. Always guided by our core values, we are committed to providing you with a top-rate experience every time you step through one of our doors. Our service and sales teams are staffed with automotive experts who love providing meaningful service to everyone who visits one of our three dealerships. So whether you're looking for a brand new Chevy, Ford, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram, or something from our always changing used inventory, you can depend on Bill Harris dealerships to always be there for you. So did the pandemic affect that first year at all? Oh boy. <laughs> so it was really, uh, honestly, just a bit scary. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm sure for many small business owners at the, at the, the beginning right. of 2020, but well, we, just everybody, too. sure, not even course. business owners. I but mean, what a weird time it was. So, so here we were okay. prepping to right. like making plans to build the a, a new hangar. Mm -hmm. Then the pandemic hits, and we're we're like, okay, well, what do we do? Do we right. build? Do we wait? Do we? So we our, have no idea. So we're at a brand new airport, right. brand new facilities. Our normal opening date for our, our season is typically, you know, mid-March, between mid-March and April 1st uh, is our typical opening date. And it, as everybody I'm sure recalls, uh, the pandemic hit mid-February. So we're, you know, we, we had two and a half to three years of sort of work and preparation for the move and getting all the, the pieces in place. And we're, you know, a month away from making our first jumps at our new airport 
And then, you know, the whole world shuts down. Right. And, and I, I remember so clearly the whatever it was like March 11th when the colleges got shut down and schools uh-huh. got shut down. And right. we were we were at that point four days away from our spring safety day event, the first right. opening day and looking at Dave and going, Uh-oh. we're not we're not going <laughs> to we're not going to be able to open, are we? Right. <laughs> and it was. A, a scary thought because then then we didn't have any idea because we didn't fit into any of those necessarily those boxes of who can open right. when based on these criteria. The health department wasn't looking at skydiving right. centers. You right. know, they months, weren't trying to figure that out for in, us. In the months later when they started, you know, they said, oh, well, now hair salons can open and now gyms can open. And we're looking at it and we're like, there, you know, there's there's four skydiving centers in the entire state, which means we're not on anybody's radar. So we didn't know when we were going to get to open. We didn't know, you know, what was going to happen or even what it was going to look like trying to operate a skydiving center, you know, in a pandemic. Right. With, with protocols, safety protocols. And, right. You know, right. So, so we just, we just looked to our national governing body, USPA and other drop zones. There's like 300 drop zones in the United States. So we were able to connect and with other skydiving centers, see what they were doing, what mm-hmm. protocols they'd set up and right. what was working. And, um, you it know, was, we were. It was a real community, you know, effort in the industry with everybody sort of reaching out to everybody else. What are you guys doing? Well, what are you doing? You know, and every state, of course, had different regulations. So they were all a little bit different. But, you know, everybody sort of found this comfortable middle ground where it seemed like we could open and be safe and and follow, you know, some specific rules. So we ended up opening uh, in the beginning of June. So only uh, a couple of months behind schedule. And uh, we didn't have any as far as you know, we know there weren't any reported cases of, you know, COVID coming from people visiting the skydiving center. So either we got super lucky or whatever we did was right. But uh, it, it was it was quite a quite a way to start our new, you know, adventure in a new home. Yeah. Well, and I know that summer we were um, on our Explore Ashland side, we were promoting all outdoor activities. That was the one thing that we could cling to right, right. Uh, as far as, you know, get outside and, you know, use the parks and, and those types of activities. So um, I would definitely think that... Uh, that skydiving would be part of that. So it, it does. And it sounds like it at first, but you got to remember the middle step of skydiving is right. where we get together and hang out, but yeah. then we all climb into the same airplane the together same plane. and sit, <laughs> and sit right. right next to each other for 20 minutes before we jump out back into those big open spaces. So yeah, true. We, we had, you know, mask protocols and, and hand sanitizer protocols and all that stuff in place. So, yeah. And we we weathered the storm. Yeah, thank right. goodness. Yeah. Thank goodness. That's right. I'm happy to just have it be a weird memory. <laughs> Absolutely. If you are just coming uh, in on this, we are on the Ashland Connected podcast. And uh, I have another question. Um, speaking of Explore Ashland and the tourism side of what we do here, give us a little idea of where your customers are coming from. Are they coming from out of our area and are you bringing tourism into Ashland, Ohio? Definitely. It's amazing how the percentage of customers that are really local, 
is much lower than you would you would think. Like these kinds of activities, like being on your podcast, we hope will let more people in Ashland know that we're actually here. We we hear on a regular basis. Oh, where where are you? Where do you guys jump? Wait, you guys are in people, Ashland, really? Right wow. in Ashland. Oh, yeah. Did, did we didn't even know Ashland had an airport? You know, mm-hmm. sometimes that's oh my the goodness. answer. So, yeah. um, probably, I would bet eighty percent or more, maybe even higher, eighty five percent of last year's jumpers came from outside Ashland County. Mm -hmm. We draw a lot from Columbus, Cleveland. It's really nice that we're right off of I-71. It's so convenient for people. But we even have people come from uh, Pittsburgh, from Indiana. West Virginia. West Virginia. Right, Michigan, sure. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I mentioned earlier, there's only, you know, four or five skydiving centers in the state there's only two, maybe three that are that are considered to be sort of large, you know, skydiving centers with a lot of activity. Uh, we would be one of them. So it's it's similar to, you know, attractions like uh, Mohican. Right. There's not that many places to go, you know, and rent a canoe and, and have that kind of experience. So people come from all over to go to Mohican. Most of the folks who are renting canoes don't live anywhere near, you know, Mohican. Like you go to Loudonville and like not everybody there has, you know, on my to-do list every Saturday morning is go rent a canoe and go canoeing because that's, you know. It's in their uh, backyard. Right, yeah. right. So so most of our business is sort of drawing from, you know, far and away just because there's not that many choices. Right. I mean, I'm sure people would love to not have to drive an hour and a half to come jump out of an airplane. But if you have to drive an hour and a half, right, <laughs> people are going to make the drive anyway. It's it's, right. it's certainly worth that investment in time. And it's well, we nice appreciate people, it. Yeah, well, of course. Um, a lot of people will come our experienced jumpers who come for two or three days at a time. They'll come on a Friday and Friday or a Thursday and stay through Sunday. And so I, we know that that's certainly bringing business to the hotels and the restaurants. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a somewhat addictive hobby right <laughs> so so when people get yeah when people get interested in it that's sort of all they want to do but in this part of the country it's seasonal right so you know we're we're open typically mid march through early november and and during that time uh you know the the sport jumpers they want to be there as often as possible we're again weather dependent so even in june it's a you know Warm temps, we're open, but if it's cloudy or rainy, nobody's jumping anyway. So a lot of these folks structure their their work schedule and their time off schedule to be able to come and make it so they can jump every Saturday and every Sunday during the season. Yeah. And so a lot of them, if you know, if they live an hour away up in the Cleveland area, they'll drive down. Some of them will stay for the weekend so they don't have to drive back and forth every night. Mm-hmm. But um, again, it's just, it's not, there's not a lot of choices, not a lot of opportunity. And, but it's something that people, you know, it's worth the trip. It's worth, if you want to get a hotel room, it's worth it to, you know, spend the money to go out to dinner afterwards. And, and, uh, and a lot of folks do. That's fantastic. Well, on our, like I said, on our Explore Ashland side, that is, uh, that is what we rely on to promote the area is, people coming from out of town, spending the night and spending their money. Mm-hmm. And uh, we thank you for being one of those assets that, 
that bring people um, right. to We're Ashland. Yeah. Yeah. It's We're fantastic. really happy to be in Ashland. It's been such a great uh, transition for us. And we'd certainly feel like we found a nice home. Right. You, you know, we already said the airport and all of those people were great, but uh, everybody beyond that to, you know, the, the people in the community that we've, that we've just met casually, the, the other businesses that we've interacted with uh, have all been great. Uh, the local government, you know, the county commissioners, the, the, everybody at the city, the mayor, right. From the, the building department to the mayor's office, everybody we've interacted with has been fantastic you know, we couldn't be happier with, with the choice to, to move to Ashland. That's great. You know, I always like to finish this interview off with what I call my three-question lightning round. And so these are fun. You don't have to think too hard about them, or you shouldn't have to think too hard about them. But uh, we'll go into those next. So my first question is this. If you could transform into any animal what would it be? It's going to be an easy one for both of us because it's some sort of bird. <laughs> it is. It's an eagle. Right. Yeah. Definitely an eagle. I mean, I could just to be different, I could say a hawk, but it's the same yeah. idea. Yeah. yeah. Some sort of fast moving bird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd be surprised if you didn't do that. Right. Okay. Number two, if you were stranded on an island, what three things would you bring with you? Uh, an espresso machine, <laughs> let's say would be number one. Um, can you, can, does it have to be realistic? Right. <laughs> no, <laughs> not really. And, and if I'm going to be honest and, and talk about uh, me in 2023, I'd probably go with an iPhone next, which again, isn't realistic, but you get what I'm saying. I'll bring the charger. Right. She'll bring a charger. <laughs> so we're all set. And then uh, probably just a comfortable pillow. I mean, if I got to be there for the duration, hmm. you know. I'd bring I'd bring a hot air balloon with a oh. super long tether <laughs> that so we can go right. up and down and we and a long and a parachute uh, so we can jump on the island and never. Okay. <laughs> well, go. I'm going to amend my list to stay a sharp knife so we can just <laughs> so we can just cut the tether and fly home from and the desert. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. you're back to reality. Right. <laughs> okay. One more now. This is hilarious. I just found this question this morning. Who would win in a fight? A horse-sized duck or 100 duck-sized horses? I'm going with the the horse-sized duck because like, you know, I mean, I've walked around a pond before and I've had a duck come after me for I don't know what reason, but they they (laughs) seem like they're, they're fairly aggressive. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I could only imagine if there was a 3,000 pound duck, w- what it could do if it was looking to fight. I mean, they're normally pretty friendly. Though. And I would think the little horses would run away. Yeah. They might. Right. Or, they, or they just get stepped on. That's yeah. true. That's, I feel like a big giant webbed foot could take out a lot of little tiny duck horses. <laughs> that's true. In that's one true. step. That's a funny question. Right. I know. I thought so too. I thought it the was The visual great. is something else. Yes. Also, yeah. I, I don't know how organized the horses would be. I mean, if they would team up properly, they might be able to get somewhere, but I'm just not sure horses have that kind of organization. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap this up. Um, I want to thank our sponsor, Bill Harris Dealerships, for sponsoring our Ashland Connected podcast this year. Thank you to Sherry and Dave for your wonderful interview today. And thank you to our audience for listening in. 
And I just want to remind you that you are able to listen to these episodes on our website, ashlandoh.com, on the podcast website, ashlandconnected.com, or anywhere that you get your podcasts. And by the way, let's talk about workers' compensation really quickly. Um, Ohio businesses that employ staff outside of immediate family members must carry insurance through the Bureau of Workers' Compensation. It's how you know you're protected if someone gets hurt on the job. So the chamber can save your business anywhere between 20 and 54% of your workers' compensation premiums each year. For many years, the chamber has faithfully endorsed Sedgwick because they help our members save the money when it comes to workers' compensation premiums. So if you uh, are interested in saving money on, on your premiums, you can receive a free, no obligation quote, and all you need is your policy number. So all you need to do is call our office at 419-281-4584, and we can get you connected with Sedgwick. And with that, I'm Amy Dobbinspeck signing off, and I look forward to connecting with you soon. Thanks, Amy. Thank you. That was great. This has been Ashland Connected. Catch more episodes monthly on ashlandconnected.com, ashlandoh.com, or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Ashland Connected is brought to you by the Bill Harris dealerships in Ashland and Loudonville and by the Ashland Area Chamber of Commerce. The Ashland Area Chamber of Commerce is here to help Ashland businesses get connected to people, services, and benefits to help your business grow. For more information, call 419-281-4584 or visit ashlandoh.com. For more information, this has been Ashland Connected, a service of the Ashland Area Chamber of Commerce, a Bryan Media production.